The following are recordings uh, recorded on different days in different contexts, but what they all loosely have in common is, is that uh, they relate to uh, the new age and what truth um, there might be uh, in uh, certain new age ideas. Um, and in this connection, um, I think um, appropriately of, of Rudolf Steiner, um, who talked about uh, the, the Aramanic deception and the Luciferian deception. And um, the Aramanic deception is basically the idea that there is no spiritual dimension to existence. You know, it's the deception of naturalism, um, to which I myself was a, su a subject for quite a quite a long time, or, or so it feels. Um, and the other one is the Luciferian deception, which is, it acknowledges a spiritual dimension, but it's it's all uh, uh, satanic lies. It's not, um, it's not cruciform. It's not Christocentric. And um, maybe one of the, the, the threads that runs through all of these recordings um, is the idea that true causation uh, takes place on a different dimension than the space-time dimension of cause and effect of linear time and mechanical causes that we think in terms of. Uh, anyone who's listened to this show for a long time knows that I've long struggled to understand what mechanism uh, uh, necessitated Christ's death or um, what mechanistic explanation there is for, you know, how is death actually accomplished what the tradition says it is. And I think that mystery um, cannot be answered um, except, um, except to say that, again, true causation in a way that we cannot fully understand in this life, maybe the law of attraction is the closest we can get, you know, whatever truth there may be in that. Um, true causation lies on a, on a higher uh, dimension of reality than just, you know, the, 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 the space-time continuum. Um, Chris Langan likes to talk about um, a non-terminal domain, so-called, um, a, a dimension orthogonal to space-time, which, which um, at the kind of pre-cognitive at the telic or will level um, generates um, space and time. It is Christ's decision to crucify himself, you know, on on this dimension of reality that that allows creation and 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 which um, justifies uh, humankind and the cosmos uh, and ensures um, its its eventual union with God. It's already but not yet union with with God. And so fittingly, you know, this this makes me think of Rudolf Steiner and his his vision um, of the blood of Jesus um, f flowing um, into into the ground and his his reflection that um, again, whatever truth there may be in, in all this. And, and I, I imagine it's actually considerable. But um, the moment when Christ's blood began to flow from his wounds, um, and into the soil, what formerly could only reach the earth as light, um, um, could now uh, join um, itself. God could now join God's self um, to his creation. Um, so because of this decision of Christ's, you know, I, 
Um, well, let me let me back up and say I, I have a friend named Jason who who has all kinds of reflections on um, uh, things like what he calls the King Daisy, where the King Daisy is so perfect that if it existed. <laughs> Nothing else, no other daisy could even bear description as a daisy, so fall would it short of that perfection. But the king daisy, in order to allow any daisies to exist, what it does is it sacrifices himself. And that makes me think of Jesus and how he did not consider his divinity something to be grasped, but rather he, he emptied himself of it. And so that is what paradoxically his divinity consists in, his always letting go of divinity. Um, his making, the highest making himself lowest in order... Um, that that his creatures can be highest, but then you know if we if we follow his example, then then we then we demote ourselves so that the next person can exalt um, herself and and so on and and creation existence becomes becomes a dance. It becomes um, a perichoresis. It becomes a, a, a trinitarian communal life exchanging dance. So because because of Jesus' decision, you know, I imagine I imagine a garden of beautiful flowers uh, springing forth at Golgotha. It's the mystical vision in which um, creation, not only humankind but all creation, is is covered with the atonement of Christ's death, which allows it to be at one with with God. So if there's a central theme in these recordings, then hopefully it's that one, which, you know, if, if, if it is what I think it is, then it's, it's the central theme of, of, of all reality. Um, uh, um, so, I mean, fittingly, I, I suppose these recordings begin with uh, some ideas on divine impassibility um, and what it meant when uh, Christ Jesus took up the cross, um, the meaning of his statement that his yoke is easy. Uh, which at first I thought was just a, a lie or, or at best approximate if, if he also means to pick up his cross and follow him or he was simply saying that his yoke is easy before be you know before you take up the cross but now I, I think I understand that it's it's a direct reference to the cross and so this this has some bearing on divine impassibility and that that doctrine of, of classical theism which I think like most doctrines of classical theism is true. The, the question is just in what sense. So after that, I get into insights of a personal nature, which I am somewhat surprised um, at myself even now um, for, for deciding to share. Um, but in, in some way, I've already admitted to worse on this podcast. I mean, the thing is, the, the real struggle is not against the Aramanic deception. It's against the Luciferian deception. Once Once you understand the the sheer limitations of um, the naturalistic worldview, um, and and so, um, I think for any spiritually sensitive person, that the temptations of the the new age, um, intellectual and spiritual, are 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 quite um, powerful, or at least they are to me, if I'm if I'm if I'm honest, um, and I don't think that should be surprising because Satan. Um, is quite powerful on earth is not his equal um as as the the hymn goes so on some level it's only right that one pay for whatever insights one has if if such they are uh with one's blood although that is not at all to um compare um one's one sacrifice uh 
one's one's paltry uh, sacrifice against the infinitely meritorious um, sacrifice of, of of Jesus. Anyway, you know, theology requires honesty and it requires um, being real. And um, at any rate, it helps that virtually no one listens to this podcast except uh, people who might be described as sincere seekers who, who not only have a heightened tolerance for the truth, but, but actually demand it. And, you know, they can smell BS um, a mile away. Not, not that, you know, my, my talks are ever free of ego or BS, you know, which, which also surfaces in, in these recordings. So um, with that being said, without further ado, I'm just going to transition into a, a series of, of thoughts on um, uh, topics which all loosely relate to the New Age, except, except the, the first few which have to do with, again, uh, divine impassibility and um, uh, the meaning of Jesus' statement that his yoke is easy. You know, I think about how Jesus uh, sweated drops of blood and his great anxiety and his great fear, but then I also think about sort of the, the non-dual nature of love and how one can have these this, this tremendous fear but yet what the 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 yoke is is yet easy and and the burden is is still light um like impassibility is is a feature of sort of classical theistic doctrine and it's you know basically god god well there's different ways to cash it out you know at lower levels um but you know, God doesn't suffer. It's certainly a feature of of impassibility. Um, but you know, one wonders if that is if that is right um, that God doesn't suffer. I I tend to think of it as God God does suffer as He dies to Himself. Um, he He dies to Himself as, it, as and and suffers all the 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 pain of existence as a as as a condition of of creating existence but that still his death to self is effortless because of because of the perfection of his love so that that there's there, there's that so it's not that it's not that the via dolorosa is gosh yeah that's the thing is not it is it is frightening but it's not only frightening that that actually the burden is 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 st- uh, the the yoke is still easy and the burden is is still light you still voluntarily choose it and you you would choose it again and again there is there is no deliberation like paul you wish you you wish to be accursed for his sake and that you know that that's that's the, that's the kind of non non duality or the infinite nature of love, the way that it that it spans all that suffering and covers it, and um, is 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 not is not weighed down by it, not 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 in the slightest. Mitch, I don't know if you listened to the recording where I talked about divine impassibility, but um, what I I used to think really until just this morning. And I sort of connected the dots through that song, that that Jesus must have been lying when he said, "My yoke is easy," because what he if if what he expects 
is for us to follow him. If he didn't die so that we could avoid dying, but rather died so that we would die with him. As it is written, Jesus, Jesus, you know, in Second Corinthians, or says Jesus was crucified. Therefore, all were crucified with him. That's 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 a mystery. But um, um, <clears throat> you know, if if Jesus if Jesus died so that we would die with him, how could he say my yoke is easy? But but the which, by the way, it's like you know, if he's if he's under a yoke, that's very much like being on the cross, right? Um, but it's the the mystery of of divine impassibility um where where the the infinite and non-dual nature of love allows you to feel tremendous tremendous fear and suffering and still call it sweet you know a little bit you see a little bit of that in, in um love sickness or or um uh you know the pangs of unrequited love um just just a hint just an intimation of it um that the father that, that that god it's not that god doesn't suffer god suffered all the suffering that there was to suffer in some sense all suffering was god's alone against you alone have i sinned and yet his death to self was effortless because of the perfection of his love and jesus did not lie when he said my yoke is easy um, it, it was you could almost take that as a direct reference to the cross. His, the, the you know Jesus Jesus um, Jesus own death was was likewise effortless in in the same way that you know the the the, fa the father's death to self is is effortless. Okay, so now follow the recordings that more directly address the topic of the new age and what truth there might be in it. This might not be a good idea for all kinds of reasons, um, but I'm going to just see how well I can succeed in um, articulating uh, what's been on my mind this morning. Um, I was I I was thinking um, while well, I was listening to uh, Jason's conversation with Jed, which was like um, a very sort of powerful ferment like spiritually speaking. And um, I thought about how they're, see, because, you know, all, all day, basically, I'm, I'm plagued by my worries and sorrows over my son and whether or not, or whether and to what extent he's going to have, you know, disabilities. And, you know, those worries and, and those sorrows are, if I'm honest with myself, rooted in an ambivalence where, you know, it's like part of me wishes that he had not existed. So that's really, that's the honest truth. And um, so there's one way to look at that, which is essentially the devil's way, which is that you, you know, whether, whether or not he existed was not really up to God. That was all you and your free will. And you you bear full responsibility for it. So essentially, you made your bed, now lie in it. Don't try to blame God for this. There's only you. Um, and, you know, all the while, he's sort of laughing um, at the, the suppressed premise that I'm, I'm going to have to eat my shame and bitterness and regret, what, for the rest of eternity? That's that's his point of view. Now, the, the second way, the truer way, but still not complete, is the way 
of like stern parental discipline, but it's truer, which is like this. It's like whether to create another soul, it's not a power that you can exercise. It's not up to you. If that happens, that's ultimately up to God. It was God's will and God's pleasure that Benjamin should exist. And uh, his desire to create Benjamin and love for him was such that he would have him created at any price. And you will have to bear that price, you know, because uh, uh, you're a sinner in the hands of a loving God, and it's and it's His pleasure to create whom He will create. And you know that's 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 truer. That's that's kind of like where you, when you stand, it, that's like almost from the standpoint of someone who's corrected by his parent but doesn't know why. And then the deeper, the third way is this: that okay. Let's say that God isn't God. God used his God powers to create Benjamin, you know, when you didn't want that to happen. Now, let's say you're God. Okay, what would you do? Given infinite foresight, given infinite hindsight over your life, I mean. Because you can't really imagine being God, God, but just imagine that you had total control over what happened in your life. The truth is that if I could really plumb the depths of myself, and I know this because on, on some occasions I have done so. I would simply choose to create Benjamin myself. <laughs> and and, and, and um, uh, the, you know, uh, whatever price there would be associated with that, I would, I would create him under any conditions and, and pay whatever price there was to pay myself. And so then the question becomes, whose will was it to be? to create Benjamin? Was it, was it God's or was it mine? And I think that the answer is, is yes. It's just yes. Getting into the kind of the idea that your true self exists in eternity. Um, and, and, and that, you know, what you're always, you know, what you're always going through is like this, this division or demarcation, you know, or like this mm, cutting away of the true self from this false self. And um, it's interesting how this sort of new age people, they have an inkling of this, but I think they also misunderstand it. I think, and I think they also misunderstand it according to the false self. But so like in the, in the NDEs, the new age people will say that you signed a contract in your sort of the pre-existence, which is very interesting. But it's like, number one, it's like, I don't think souls sign contracts and number two, I don't think that they pre-exist, our souls pre-exist us, um, or if they do, they only do so in the same sense that they post-exist us, namely not in any sense that you can understand linearly, but the, the error of the New Age interpretations is to attempt to try and understand eternal things linearly, as though, uh, you know, first there was eternity, and then there was this time, and, and, and linearity, um, the linearity underlying both sort of transcends both as if linear time transcended eternity and not vice versa. Um, but the error is to think that you can understand it, um, at least in as high resolution a way as they, you know, talk about it, um, which I think is, is sort of the, the error of the false self. But see, that kind of gets into the what over there at least it's like the line between perception and reality or between 
um, reality and interpretation or between sort of, you know, re, let's say, you know, Barfieldian figuration where you essentially just, you create subconsciously according to what you value, you create your reality in a way that you can't even help or be conscious of. And, you know, that's why you have to, um, that, that, that's why it's so dangerous to die when you're, when the light that is in you is darkness, because when you go to the other side, then you're just going to create according to the darkness that is in you. You know, the evil man is going to bring forth evil things out of his evil treasure, um, as it is, as it is put. Um, so, you know, but I, I think there is, there is a truth in the sense that your, your, your true self is, is like, it's already in eternity, but it's not that one can easily understand what that means. Um, uh, so, um, this morning I was thinking, you know, probably for the millionth time about the question of why and how Jesus had to die because earthly logic, there's no reason he had to die. And there's not really anything that his death can have accomplished. It's not like it cut away some, um, cosmic red tape that God was dealing with, you know, some some law of give and take, um, the deep magic as it's put in um, the Chronicles of Narnia, where um, blood must be paid for with blood, um, or at least one assumes not, because it seems to make God, you know, not be all powerful. And, you know, Aquinas thought that as well, that Jesus didn't strictly have to die, um, that his death was in some sense like super erogatory. Um, and in that way, like, you know, it, it was, it was grace. Um, but, um, you know, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, well, probably what's confusing us is, is we are always looking at a causality on this earthly dimension of space and time. Uh, you know, like, like Mathieu Pajot said that, um, in, in symbolic terms, even what we think of as the cosmos, you know, this whole space-time continuum is earth, not heaven. You know, heaven is something like the unseen, the, implic the implicate order. Um, and, um, you know, the, the true causality, true causality, you know, Langan likes to say that true causality happens on a, on a, on a different dimension entirely. True, and we don't understand it. True causation happens on a higher dimension of intention and, and thought and will. Um, and it's actually almost like pre-cognitive pre will. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's super interesting because when, when I heard that, I was, you know, I, there was something in me that heard that. I mean, you know, when my interior monologue, you know, reached that conclusion, let's say, Part of me, which nine times out of ten I would just mistake f for me, um, part of me responded with like, he's like, well, that's awesome. Let me use that. Let me use that to fix my situation. Let me use that to become powerful. And then, and then I thought, well, that, that's original sin, isn't it? Is that we would take knowledge and use it to create slash justify ourselves apart from God. <coughs> Self-creation and self-justification being... <laughs> pretty much equivalent um, uh, when you get down to it, uh, justification being kind of like the derivative of creation. Um, 
It's, it's just like a kind of negative or defensive um, aspect of it almost. Um, and I thought that, you know, I definitely have that tendency. And, you know, that's what Gnosticism is rooted in. You know, through Gnosis, through knowing, power is exercised. Um, and and even as I say that, like pinpointing, um, you know, the, the nature of Gnosticism, um, I feel like a sense of self-justification through, through Gnosis and power. And if I'm honest, you know, this, this motive is what actuates, you know, uh, um, this recording right now, because, you know, if, if I didn't have the desire to like show off what I know, I would be indifferent between, um, recording this and not, and, you know, th this takes some effort. So I would probably choose not to just keep it to myself. Um, or just let the thoughts be blown away from me by, you know, time and forgetfulness, like so many pages in the wind. Um, so anyway, you know, I guess that's why the Bible says, let not many of you be teachers. Um, cause it's, it's, it's just, it's just dangerous. Um, you know, it, it, the Bhagavad Gita, which is the Bible that I grew up with, um, Krishna tells Arjuna, look, there's so many kinds of yoga um, so many, you know, ways of making spiritual advancement, but they're all worthless. Why? Because they, all they do is give you power. And he, he, he said, you, you should, you should throw it away. Um, that, you know, if, 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 if karma or fate or God gives you power, you must hand it back. Give it to me, surrender your will to me. Um, uh, the, 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 this is called, this is called bhakti yoga. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus is God. And when he's God, it's like, okay, I'm God. My first action as God is to die, to not be God. That's what he does. Um, uh, when he, you know, in Peter Hyatt's sermon terms, when he's past the ball, he just immediately throws it back. But our tendency is like, we have the ball is like, Oh, it's so awesome. Let's keep it kind of thing. It's, it's very, very interesting. Very, very connected to what Jason was saying about how, um, um, if, if so, somehow, if, if, if there's, if there's a judge, um, what it, what it has to do is, you know, it, it has to abdicate its role as judge. Cause, cause, um, Otherwise, no one could could live up to the standard or something. It's a little bit like the who is least competitive competition, or like it's like a dominance hier hierarchy of non domination. Um, it's it's something like this logic, right? And um, uh, yeah. Anyway, tremendously fascinating. You know, I was I was definitely tempted, a la like the secrets. Like, okay, let me just use this Gnostic metaphysical knowledge of intention and mind and will to like fix my situation. You know, get my crap together. And I realized it's like, no. Even in terms of, I mean, that, and this is the weird thing though. It's like even in terms of like the logic, like determinate logic, which one uses to advance oneself or one's ego, one sees that it runs straight up asymptotically like um in it 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 becomes this unclimbable this unscalable precipice uh, where all you do is stare up at it and you realize nope it's like at the end all you can do is you're on the cross you just die you surrender your will to god let 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 your will be his will and that means playing the hand that's that's dealt you um not 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 trying to take 
I mean, this is, sounds irresponsible, but not trying to take radical ownership of your situation. Keep praying to God. Keep, keep, keep asking him to show you his will. Um, extremely difficult. Um, um, but anyway, that's, that's what I was thinking about this morning. So guys, I don't know. I'm just, this morning, I'm still thinking about the so-called pre-existence, which as you guys know, or maybe Peter doesn't, but, um, it, it's not a term I'm overly fond of because I don't think that it's ultimately any more pre-existence than it is post-existence. It's somehow simultaneously both pre and post-existence. Um, in mystical Judaism, it's understood that the, the earthly self that you are, your body, let's say at a minimum, um, is, is like, is like the sole of a shoe, or maybe it's the shoe that is surrounding a fleshly foot. You have a, your, your identity has a physical and earthly stratum and then has a heavenly or eternal stratum. And I, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about the, the, the interplay between one's earthly self and one's eternal self. Um, what a student of Langan would call um, a metatemporal feedback loop. Um, because at first, I never thought much of these things, but as I really started to think about the incarnation, I realized that the story of Jesus' creation and his advancing in wisdom and stature, um, his um, his apotheosis, his his exaltation, his election by God, and then his death on the cross. Um, let's say his adoption, you know, like, uh, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased today. I have begotten thee. That sort of adoptionist Christology is not totally wrong, I think, but it's not, it's not exhaustive. It's not the whole story. Um, uh, you know, this whole story of the passion, death and the resurrection, this is the story of God's self-creation in time slash eternity or in eternity slash time because truly if God can have become incarnate that means on some level given his immutable and eternal nature he already always was incarnate already always was human and that means the temporal events of the incarnation are stitched into the fabric of eternity in what we might think of as um eternity's arrow an asymmetry in eternity that is that is anti-entropic that is that is generative one way i have thought of formulating it perhaps it's not correct but one way i have thought of it is that prospectively events are possible that is contingent not logically necessary only only optional only possible but once they happen retrospectively um they are necessitated um, in such a way that um, their non-occurrence then becomes <coughs> inconceivable, logically. In other words, events are prospectively contingent, but retrospectively 
uh, logically necessary. Um, so the events, um, well, certainly the events of the incarnation are stitched, you know, however temporal they are or seem to be, they are stitched into the fabric of eternity irreversibly. Um, but then the question is, just how do we figure into this as it is written? If, if, if one died for all, therefore all died. One died for all, therefore all died. We are part of the body of Christ. Christ, that irreducible union of the, irrever uh, of the universal and the particular, is composed, let's say, it may not be the right phrase, but, but um, his, his body is made up of members, each of whom have their own unique, particular, um, irreducible identity, um, uh, such as ourselves. And, you know, I mean, the way in which Christ loves us, he doesn't accept substitutes. He doesn't view us as function fillers. Um, we are each necessary parts of the body whose absence to God is inconceivable. And, um, you know, he won't be all in all without us. And conversely, in creating each of us, um, God was saying something about himself that he could only say through creating us. And um, so the thing is, we, we as, you know... We as members of Christ's body are also um, irreversibly stitched into the fabric of eternity, which means that however contingent our existence may seem to us, we didn't have to exist. Um, our existence um, as the individuals that we are um, is logically necessary. And there is an interplay um, it, you know, between between our physical earthly selves and the logically necessary souls um, that we have in eternity, um, I will say again that that eternity is the interplay between time and eternity, which, from a certain standpoint, immediately sounds wrong because it's using a word to define a word. But I think that this is the pattern of ultimate reality. Um, Christ is the hypostasis of irreducible union between nature and hypostasis. Um, the infinite is the interplay between the infinite and the finite. Ultimate reality has itself, only itself in terms of which to give itself. And then I'll say again, controversially, Christ Jesus is the Trinity, as well as a member of the Trinity. So, you know, there is, there is always an interplay of a metatemporal feedback loop between the earthly self uh, and, and the, the eternal self. And what this can look like, I mean, at least as a first approximation, one can describe it, for example, as a consent to exist given before one existed. Um, although... This is perhaps not the best way to think about it because our, our minds automatically linearize it and uh, just see um, this kind of linear uh, 
retrospective history stretching um, all the way back into some immemorial vanishing point. And then the future is like sort of open-ended, but, but the, you know, eternity is neither a, is neither a line, nor is it a circle. Um, but it's, it's a spiral. It has an asymmetry, but this, this asymmetry, I mean, I mean, with this, this spiral dynamic does allow for, um, loop-like, um, uh, dynamics. Uh, according to which something like pre-existence is possible. Or indeed, all communication between between oneself and God is, is of this kind. It's similar in nature, let's say, to the communication between one's earthly self and one's, one's eternal soul or higher self. Um, and that higher self can either be understood as Christ or... Maybe you might say Christ is the limit that one's higher self approaches. Maybe both are valid ways of talking about it. I'm not sure. But this is all, like in another way, it's like I see it as necessitated because now is all there is. Now is eternity, is God. Um, now is eternity, which, which is the interplay, confusingly, of time and eternity. Um there there's always that communication happening um between the temporal and the the atemporal or the proto and pre and post temporal um the omnitemporal i don't know um i didn't even manage to say much about the nature of this communication i mean i think that this is a very dangerous area because um it's a various this is a very dangerous area to speculate about because um, it's very easy to fall into error here, especially if one's uh, dark and secret motive, unknown even to one's conscious mind, is to glorify oneself or justify or create oneself with this knowledge. Whereas this knowledge can only be revealed through Christ Jesus, who, you know, in possessing divinity, laid it down. Um, if, if your motive in reaching for this knowledge is to exalt yourself, you cannot possess this knowledge. You can only have this knowledge on the condition that you do not get it for the reason that you want it for. Um, at least I'm speaking for myself here. And um, so... Um, Anyway, I'll just kind of conclude these thoughts here, but I, I'm definitely thinking about it, thinking about the the truth that must exist in, in these notions of, let's say again, loosely, pre-existence, which you find in Judaism, in the New Age, in Mormonism. Um, and um, it, it, you know, it, it can't be wholly wrong, um, as, as far as I can tell. In fact, it's necessitated by the incarnation. And I think these are some of the mysteries into which Paul longed to look or said that we long to look and into which he had looked um, to some extent. You know, like uh, Sherry had an experience where um, 
she she sort of felt herself out of body um or whether in or out of the body she didn't know and then she just realized that she didn't need to fear death because what she was always was and always would be you know i think that's right that has to be right you know people talk about having near death experiences of like it feels like going home um it feels like a return and that may be for the simple reason that any what huh any discovery of something sufficiently matched to one's identity sufficiently valued you know feels like the discovery of something uh, uh sufficiently matched to one's identity or it feels like the discovery of one's identity i.e a return um and um you know so there's that but then there's also the way that that you know our existence has this eternal um for lack of a better term component um which which is you know which is which is timeless and again you know it's it's not it's not quite the same as 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 some long line um you know according to which we 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 preexisted ourselves you know in the linear past um and we'll go on uh from this point into the you know um the linear future um but anyway yeah just 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 thinking about these things um yeah now i do remember that um uh, uh jacob was talking about the transmigration of the soul in y'all's last bible study you know i'm less sure about that if only because i don't know what it means to say that the soul transmigrates um what is what is the soul um uh and in what does its individuality consist um if not um uh if it's not something you know irreducibly united um hypostatically you might say through christ to its its um earthly form its its earthly particulars in other words if we have two hypothetical states of affairs we'll call one situation a and the other situation b in situation a cal dies a girl um named ruth is either conceived or born whenever you want to say the soul enters the body i mean personally i think it's ridiculous to say that it only enters at birth when you're passing through the birth canal um so um and uh so anyway cal dies a girl who will be named ruth is conceived and in situation a ruth is the continuation of 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 cal the reincarnation of cal um but in situation b you know same same thing um cal dies um uh ruth um comes into existence but ruth is not cal in both situation and situation a and situation b um ruth has no memory of ever having been cal thinks nothing like cal thought and moreover something like cal's soul is eternally remembered by god that pattern hasn't died um uh but let's say when ruth dies um and her soul is retracted up to god you know that that particular individual is not forgotten by god either 
But what suddenly she remembers having been Cal, is that even the right word? Or is that just a word we use because she can now access all of Cal's experiences? But she can also access all the experiences of people who were not her hypothetical pre-incarnation. Um, at least if the descriptions of the other side are, are true, it allows for this easy, effortless transfer telepathically of experiences that one can experience from the first person. Um, and, and so once again, in the case where Ruth is not Cal, in the case where she is, one can't really see a difference. Because what this notion of reincarnation does, at least this notion, this notion that does not involve any transference or continuation of, of memory, it, what it does is it so empties the soul as a term of particular meaning that it becomes indistinguishable from a non-entity, something with, which neither affects nor is affected by anything else. So, um, now if you say that someone could be um, reincarnated and retain memories of who they used to be and at least a trace of their personality, then, I mean, that makes more sense to me. However, if the full individuality of the person they once were continues to exist, you know, on the other side. Um, then I wonder um, whether reincarnation is the right word there or whether some kind of cloning or begetting is, is, is the better way of speaking. Because people want to say that, you know, when you're on the other side, you're just cut off. It's like you're only spiritual. You have no physicality. It's like, in other words, you're 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 a, you're a floating head. You're you're an abstract, um, uh, floating cloud that's not terminalized, that's not fully specified as an ex as a linguistic expression. Let's say, some experiences of the afterlife are like that, um, of being, say, a disembodied orb, but others um, are are described as being realer than real. And that you can feel that you can eat and you can feel everything, including the wind on the, the small hairs of your arm and see colors you never saw on earth. And in other words, being in to exist in heaven, if you ask me, is not to not be terminalized. It is to be fully terminalized or even more specified. You know, the glory of God consists in his incarnation and in his specification and his concreteness. He glories in this and these in these earthly experiences that we have that he experiences through us as us um uh intimately with us in a way that um you know he's he's nearer to us than than we ourselves are he's he's interior um interior in intimo meo more inward than our inmost selves so he 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 glories and delights in in um incarnation and and concreteness and and specification and I think that the other side is is not cut off from that, but is is um, is terminalized. Um, in other words, one is always in eternity, but on the other side, one goes deeper. And God Himself is not some abstract cloud, but is both the universal and the particular. He is everything. Um, uh, the 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 abstract and the specific. He's he's all of it. Hence his ult hence the ultimacy of his reality. Um, so, you know, I don't really buy the idea that you go to the other side and then it's just like you're, you're necessarily just this formless 
floating thingy that if it wants to be fully real has to go back to earth but is constrained to take some other form you know that makes less sense to me could be wrong or it doesn't mean it couldn't in principle happen um but um i'm just saying it's not what i'm talking about because i personally yet have not found a way to make sense of it but that does that doesn't mean that it's not real um but i'm, I'm just saying it's not what i have in mind so I I really enjoyed the, the last part. I probably should have finished it first. And when you talked about um, Sherry and her uh, her experience of feeling like what she was, she always was. Um, and there's like yeah, there's this like return or coming home. And it makes me think of like going back to the garden. Uh, it always makes me think of the Fox and the Hound movie. Um, this return to like childlikeness. But then yeah, I guess I just wonder like why is it. And that makes sense, because it's like this return to innocence or something like that. Um, but then why why this fall? Why this U-shaped pattern? Like, why this... Because um, uh, children, I don't really know what to do with it. Like, children don't know. You know, there's this, there's this ignorance along with the innocence. But then there's, like, through this U-shaped pattern, it's like there's this wisdom that goes along with the innocence or there should be, so, um, I don't really know, I'm not sure what to make of it, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, it almost feels to me like there's, like, this, uh, this oneness in God in the beginning, um, and in this, uh, this need, I don't know, you don't even know the right words to put it, but, like, this, multiplicity that needs to happen uh then you have to so then it like it makes two and then it has to unify the two and it's like the the two have to um stay in that communion they have to keep that spirit uh between them to stay unified um but it's like as they as a child grows you could have two twins and they're perfectly fine and uh like jacob and esau whatever and they're they're their kids as a baby they're just they have no knowledge of things so they don't know to to depart from each other there are two but they're still one um and then they depart um and then they have to return to a state of like innocence and coming back together and into a oneness um and through that process they suffered and they grew um but Is that necessary for the further up and the further in? Like, is that... I mean, I guess it is. Because then uh, it seems like love grows through that process. And love becomes more. So God becomes more and more and more. Um, and... Uh, and wisdom also grows and becomes more and more and more. Um, so it's just... Like it. But I... I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to say properly because it sounds when I started to this, try to even try to even view it this way, it just sounds like a, a pattern of creation that's like just necessary. And I understand how some people think that's incredibly bleak because they're like, well, what is that? If this is how it has to be, then what is the eschaton? And it's like, is it just more of the same stuff? Because I don't really want it at that point. Um, and I understand that, but I feel like there's a part or a shift in consciousness to where it's like this pattern is immediately happening all at once. Like the lambs 
is slain before the foundation of the world and it's like it's just all it's all happening all at once and it's uh, indiscernible um, the death and the life is and so it's uh, it's it's shalom um, in in creation in the diversity and the unification um, the the cutting and the healing is all uh, one um, and that would be my answer to that like the pattern's the same but the the, um, the I, I don't know the shift in, in consciousness or whatever is, is different so then it's just all um, at, at rest and it all comes in yeah I don't know at the same time I don't, I don't really know what I'm getting at well one sort of simplistic possibility but a possibility nonetheless is, that, is to use Christ Jesus or God's own say self-creative loop as an example where Christ Jesus is is perfected in his sufferings ascends to the right hand of the Father um, and then he's in heaven where it's like he has the glory with God that he had before the world began in other words it's the same it's the same place or position from which he he does not consider his divinity something to be grasped, but from which he, you know, he empties himself and descends and incarnates. So, in other words, the descent was made by the one who, who died and and resurrected and ascended to heaven. I mean, or that's a way you can look at it. But, um, you know, it's like David Bentley Hart saying that that um, the finished work of God, once it sees um, what God made it to be gives its consent, if you like, retrospectively, to have been created. Um, so that would be something like metatemporal feedback, except we can't, we can't conceive it. You know, this is like um, uh, trying to... Um, it's two-dimensional creatures trying to conceive of how something can be um, in the same coordinate position um, or in two different coordinate positions at the same time um, because it's, it's sort of um, inhabiting, uh, it's, 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 it's lying along uh, you know, a, a vector or a, a line, a dimension that they can't conceive of. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's kind of what my mind goes to. Okay, and just so that ending isn't too abrupt, um, this is the ending of this quote-unquote episode or whatever you call it. Um, as always, just thank you for giving my thoughts uh, the time of day. Uh, thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.